Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is August the 31st, 2022, the last day of August. Before we get back to the real action of September, lots of corporate leaders have taken August off, but not uh, Elon Musk. We did a show with him yesterday, not with him, about him, with the Wall Street Journal author Tim Higgins, uh, his uh, book Power Play, Tesla, Elon Musk, and the Bet of the Century is just out in paperback. It was a, it was a bestseller. Uh, Musk, of course, is ubiquitous. He is a pinup uh, or the naughty boy, depending which way you look at it, of corporate leaders today. Uh, of course, we associate him above all else with Tesla, but he's also embroiled now in a huge legal dispute with Twitter about an acquisition that he chose not to make. Uh, he's also somebody who spends a lot of time telling the world on on and off Twitter what he thinks about things. So, for example, one of the headlines earlier this week was about his views on demography, on whether the population will collapse. I'm not sure he's necessarily equipped to talk about population, but that doesn't put him off. In other words, he is a leader for our social media age. He's ubiquitous and he is indeed the world's richest man. My guest today on the show is uh, another kind of leader. And um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm very intrigued to, to learn what he thinks about Elon Musk. Um, Bill George ran Medtronic. He uh, is a longtime professor at the Harvard Business School. Uh, he has a new book out, True North, uh, Emerging Leader Edition. This is a follow-up in some ways to his 2015 bestseller, Discover Your True North. Bill is talking to us from the Harvard Club in New York City. Bill, I bet you haven't bumped into Elon Musk there, have you? Uh, no, I haven't. Uh. What do you make of Musk? Does he represent everything that's gone wrong with corporate leadership these days, or is he a model for uh, emerging leaders that you lay out in True North? Andrew, uh, Elon is the greatest inventor of our time. Uh, it's amazing what he has done with Tesla and with SpaceX. Tesla, no car company in the world has ever come out uh, uh, right out of the box with a near perfect car. And uh, he is transforming transportation. You look at everyone now is following his lead. He puts up a battery factory in Arizona and they've announced now all the other companies are announcing battery factories in, in Ohio and elsewhere. They're announcing new factories go all electric. General Motors go all electric. So credit Elon with transforming the whole transportation industry. He'll do it. Trucks too. Uh, SpaceX, same thing. And he's, you know, NASA calls off its uh, venture going to the moon yesterday, but Elon seemed to be able to, to take his ventures. Uh, however, I think he uh, he's getting too caught up in his cele celebrity, what I call the adulation trap. He enjoys adulation of the masses. He's not going to invent anything on Twitter. I think he ought to go back to inventing things. I wish he would invent five more companies because uh, I think he would be spectacular. But I think all this game playing he's doing, what does he know about uh, 
population or some of the other things he's kind of uh, trying to make a difference on. He's not an expert in these things. So stick to your knitting, Elon, and be the world's greatest inventor for another three decades. He's only 51 years old. He's a Gen Xer. Well, there you have it from Bill, uh, Bill George. Bill, you're also on Twitter. Uh, you have a few thousand, I think 35,000 followers. Musk has over a hundred million. Do you think yes, social media? Elon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, none of us uh, can compete with him, or certainly on that front. Um, do you think social media um, has been a good thing for leaders? If an emerging leader or an established leader comes to you and says, "Should I be on Twitter? Should I be on Instagram?" What would you say? What do you tell your students at Harvard Business School? I tell my students, and we run the new C. I run the new CEO program at Harvard Business School. Twelve people at a time. We've had about four hundred people go through. I tell them they should be active. This is a way to communicate with your employees all over the world. They want to know what you're thinking, who you are. They don't want to see memos from headquarters. They don't want to go through the bureaucracy. They want to know who you are. And I think it's a great way. But uh, you know, it, it does have its downside and limitations. We look at what Mark Zuckerberg, who I feature in my new book as a leader who's trying to lead without his true north, uh, who's all over the map. He doesn't know what Facebook is. It was gonna be a friend site. Now all of a sudden he wants it to be like TikTok. I mean, uh, give me a break. I think uh, I think we gotta use social media as a viable communications. My favorite actually is LinkedIn. I've got a quarter of a million followers on LinkedIn. There are people that have millions, but that's very, these are people that are really serious about their careers. I love to communicate, I respond to virtually everyone who says anything to me. Uh, not necessarily on Facebook, because you get uh, you know people with crazy statements at three in the morning. Uh, so, But I, I think social media is a good thing, but it needs boundaries. Like, Andrew, I'm a fervent capitalist, but it, just like capitalism, it needs boundaries. And uh, the idea that Zuckerberg can take all my private information and sell it to someone uh, to try to uh, you know get me medical appointments or something like that, I think it's an outrage. Uh, he's been taken on by uh, by none other than Tim Cook at, uh, at Apple, who said, you know, privacy is a, a, a personal right. Um, one of the people that you interview uh, in this new book is Satya Nadella, the CEO of um, Microsoft, who, of course, acquired LinkedIn two or three years ago. Uh, is Nadella one of the models for you of, of what leaders should be? He's often presented very much in contrast with some of the, the less positive tech titans, whether it's Travis Kalalnik from, um, from, uh, from Uber or Elizabeth Holmes, of course, or even uh, the WeWorks co-founder, Adam Newman. What is it about somebody like Nadella that represents a more positive model for leadership, Bill? Just just a comment, you picked up three people I feature in the book, <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes, Adam Newman, and Travis Kalanick, uh, as people who don't know their true north. They're, they try to jump to celebrity, and actually Elizabeth and, and Adam are frauds. Uh, Travis had a great app and a great great business on Uber, but he didn't know how to run an organization. So I would say if you ask me who is the greatest business leader in the world today, uh, I would say it's Sachin Nadella. I think he has done an amazing job. If you look at the 14 years of Microsoft under Steve Ballmer, it was a disaster. The stock was selling for less after 14 years than it was 
when Bomber took over. It was all about tops down. They were losing their company. They were going the same route as IBM was back uh, before Gerstner came in. And so I think Satya's come in. He's brought a sense uh, of really of purpose, of empathy to the organization, of self-awareness. He knows who he is. His son, Zane, who sadly recently died this winter, uh, was born with cerebral palsy. And it really transformed Satya from a computer geek to a, a deep human being. And he shares that with everyone. And I think what he has tried to do, he said, look, we, we can't be know-it-alls. Uh, Microsoft was know-it-alls. I worked with Bomber back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, it was impossible to work with those guys. Now, love to work with them. All the CEOs I know love to work with Microsoft because they're, they're learn-it-alls. And he's taken this whole idea of Carol Dweck's of uh, post-traumatic growth. Great. Good for Sacha. So an outstanding leader in every way who knows his true north and knows who he is. Bill, you, you've, you've said he knows his true north. You came out, as I said, in, 20, in, the, mid, uh, in the mid-teens, 20-teens with Discover Your True North. The new book is True North, Leading Authentically in Today's Workplace, an Emerging Leader Edition. What does this term mean, knowing your true north? Your true north, Andrew, is your beliefs, your values, and the principles you lead by, and where you find fulfillment in your life. It's who you are at your core. And the reason I worry about Elon getting caught up with celebrity uh, is that, and a lot of these other lesser people that you mentioned, is that they they uh, try to lead and be they I judge everything by how the world judges them. You know, money, fame, and power, and it's going to Elon's head. It can't go to your head. And so that's if you're grounded in your true north, like Sachin Nadella and so many other leaders. We talk about Mary Barra, General Motors. I could name a dozen for you right off the top of my head that they know who they are. And that's really critical that leaders uh, are grounded in their true north before they start to lead. The promise Zuckerberg, he started to lead when he was 19 and uh, wasn't grounded. And so he didn't know what he stood for. And it was kind of like standing for the most followers and the, the most amount of money and trying to be the wealthiest person. So uh, I think you have to know your true north. Now, in my new book, what I'm saying, uh, Andrew, is that we need a new generation of leaders. The baby boomers have had their time. They've had their 30 years. It hasn't ended well. And we need younger leaders, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z to take over. We've got nothing but one crisis after another. And I think the emerging leaders are much better equipped to lead through crises than the, uh, than the, the, the baby boomers. So I think it's time for them to step aside and usher in a new generation of leaders. Let's go back. You, you said that uh, Mary Barra, the uh, CEO of General Motors since 2014, she discovered her true north. I don't doubt her moral compass, Bill. But compared to what Musk did at Tesla, GM seems like... Um, uh, perhaps a narrative of, of lost opportunities. We did a, a show, we've done a few shows on Carlos Ghosn, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, but a uh, remarkable man and a, a remarkable story. We asked whether it's a modern day Greek tragedy or the parable of a shameless criminal mastermind, perhaps both. One of the interesting things about Ghosn is he always compared himself with Barra. And one of the reasons why he took money under the table, I think, from Nissan, was that he felt he was worth the same as uh, a Mary Barra. So two questions here. Firstly, 
uh, in terms of somebody like Mary Barra, how do you balance finding your moral true north with business leadership? And secondly, what do you make of someone like Carlos Ghosn, who obviously is a profoundly flawed man? Mary's one of my former students, uh, came to my course before she was CEO, and uh, she's the real deal. She started on the production line at 18. Uh, thank goodness General Motors sent her to Kettering University and then to uh, Stanford Business School. And uh, she's been in everything. She's been running production line, running product development when she came to my course. She's run human resources. She knows the people at General Motors. General Motors was a company I loved to hate before. I grew up in Michigan. And uh, I really disliked the fact that they're only run by financial people, that everything was take the cheapest product and they never produce good designs. She's got a big job to do. But she said, after they had the ignition crisis, I hope we'll never forget this crisis. We have to change the culture. And she got picked on by some senators, but I can tell you she's right. And that culture is changing. I had a whole series of people come to my courses and uh, they are very different than the old General Motors. So yeah, it takes going to take her a decade to change this culture. So it gives her a couple of years. But a go. decade, Bill, in a decade in Silicon Valley, we're all dead. I mean, when people yeah, talk that's in, true. <laughs> in, in, in 10 year terms in Silicon Valley, it means they don't yeah. really know what the future is. Um, uh, how do you evaluate Mary Barra's achievement at General Motors? Why isn't General Motors Tesla? Why didn't they buy Tesla? Well, Tesla's worth a lot more than they are right now. Well, they bought, so but they I could have bought it earlier uh, yeah. when it was worth, when it was affordable. Yeah, I agree with you. They've got a ways to go, but they'll they'll get they're getting there. She put the marker down. But they'll have all electric cars by 2035. She is the product, head of product development came to my course last in January. That's all he's working on. They're not working on anything else right now. And uh, she put the markers out as zero congestion, uh, zero accidents, zero pollution. Pretty bold. So I give her credit for being a bold leader. Well, it's yes, not that it's bold. Early. Every 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 CEO of a car company has said the same thing. It's almost uh, well, they are saying it now. They weren't for a while. Ford got a little lost. They're starting to come back. But look, give Musk credit for what he's done with the car. And, and Tesla's not going away. They're only going to get better. So I I'm not negative. But Elon is a, a different kind of leader. So uh, what, what do you make of a uh, of Carlos Ghosn and perhaps? the angle that Japan wasn't ready for a man like him, a man so innovative and experimental. Um, is his story a, a parable of what's gone wrong with global capitalism, or is it more a story about the limitations of Japan, Japanese corporate culture? No, I think it's the former. He's the old school corporate leader, money, fame, and power. I tell you, he did a fabulous job at Renault and Nissan. Uh, he's a great great uh, businessman, but he's of the, more of the Jack Welch, Larry Bossidy school uh, of the past. I'm not sure it would work today, but he also lost his way. He, you know, you don't take money under the table. You don't steal money. You don't underreport your income. And I think he got too caught up uh, in his own wealth, in his own celebrity and fame and, uh, and his own power. And so I don't blame the Japanese culture. Nissan's a great company. Toyota's a great company. But companies make mistakes and they have to atone for them. And I think Carlos uh, lost it. I, I'm sad. Uh, it's a little bit like my former colleague, Rajat Gupta on the Goldman Sachs board, Andrew, that uh, was just a great leader. And he got so caught up with how much money he could make and how he could go from making earning $120 billion to 
120 million to be a billionaire uh, and he traded inside information. I just think it's sad on these people who are great leaders. That's why I'm writing these books to stay true to who you are. And uh, the people I've mentioned on the negative side have all kind of lost their way. They really don't know their true north. Yeah, I, maybe we should, maybe you need to write a book, Bill, about the full South or something like that. Um, <laughs> one of the people you write about in the book as a, as a model of uh, the anti-true North is, is Adam Newman, who you earlier said in this conversation, you equated with um, Elizabeth Holmes as a fraud. Uh, Holmes, I think, ended up in jail, but Newman hasn't. And in fact, he just got a new backer, the, the top VC in the Valley, uh, Andreessen Horowitz. What do you make of the fact that somebody like Newman can come back? Can we forgive people like Newman and perhaps Holmes and, 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 and Kalalnik? Because they're clearly talented people. Should we give well, them second uh, chances, Bill? Look, look, I know Mark Andreessen, Andreessen Horowitz. He's a smart guy. I'm shocked he gave him a billion dollars now because, look, all he is doing is is putting lipstick on a pig. He's, you know, what he was doing was renting office space. Now he's going to do is dress up your apartments. I mean, how many people have dressed up their apartments with lots of amenities and fun things to do? Come on. There's nothing new about what he's doing. He's just going to own a lot of real estate, a lot of apartments like he owned a lot of office space before. So I don't think there's anything going on with Adam. I'm shocked that he's getting this kind of money. Elizabeth Holmes, I know the medical field. That's where I come from, uh, Andrew. And uh, and this whole idea that you can prick your finger. I'm on the board of Mayo at the time. And I quizzed the top doctors at Mayo. And they said, look, we're never going to do that. You, this doesn't make any sense. Well, that was a clear fraud. I mean, it was an yeah. unambiguous so, fraud but, in comparison. But, these but people you think we once was a people. fraud? Andrew, they can con a lot of people. You know, was it? Uh, P.T. Barnum said there's a sucker born every minute. And, and it's amazing to me how people can be conned and put money into it. It's not like, you know, they're just uh, going along. They're putting real money. Uh, Travis, a different case. Travis never grew up. It was kind of like uh, he was running like a, a boys club. You know, it was like an overgrown fraternity house. But, hey, he had a great and he has a great app. I mean, look at what Dara has done since then. Uber's great. I use it all the time. It's got a great app and a great system. So he had some real. He's in a different category. He's a real inventor that didn't know how to run a company. And so uh, I think what's happened now in a lot of the Silicon Valley companies to see these second generation people coming along like Tim Cook and Sachin Nadella and the folks at Google. And they're doing well. And uh, they're much better grounded. You mentioned that um, Mary Barrow was in your class at the Harvard Business School. My guess is if Musk or Kalalnik or Newman were watching this, they would say, well, what does a business school professor have to teach me? I didn't need to go to business school. I've made billions of dollars without going to business school. In fact, they might argue I made billions of dollars because I didn't go to business school. <laughs> What's the value, Bill, of business school these days? Are you teaching True North at Harvard? I've taught it since 2004, even before I had the book out uh, and I had a book on authentic leadership. But let me just say, I, I'm not a real academic. That's not, I don't want to kid anyone. I'm a, I'm a warmed over business guy. I was in business for 33 years and served on a lot of boards the last 20 years, you know, like Exxon and Goldman and Target. Uh, so I, my whole focus on business. So 
when I teach, I'm teaching people about the real world of business and trying to help younger leaders get prepared for the challenges they're going to face, dealing with their board of directors, dealing with all the challenges they're faced. So what do I say on public issues today? That's a hot topic. How do I deal with this employee revolution that's going on? That's what they want to talk about. And so I, back to your business schools, business schools are not, are teaching too much management, turning out too many people on know how to run spreadsheets and not nearly enough leaders. I'm quite critical of the business school for just uh, coining money by t putting everyone through to get an MBA. Now at Harvard, we've tried to change. We have a whole cadre of people that are teaching leadership and it's changed dramatically in the last decade. But I think business schools in general are not teaching what people need to learn to lead and, and how to be real entrepreneurs and how to lead organizations. I think they're teaching too much old school management. Hey, it doesn't work anymore. We live in crises and so we need new kind of leaders. You talk to a lot of leaders in this emerging leader edition, this new book, um, including uh, not just Mary Barra, Indra Nui, uh, the uh, CEO, uh, former CEO at Pepsi, uh, Hubert Jolie, the former chairman at Best Buy, uh, uh, Ursula Burns at Xerox, um, Ken Frazier, uh, at Merck, what did you learn from these people? Were there see, were there lessons that came up? Time Absolutely, time Absolutely, and these people, these people you just mentioned, are really the forerunners, are really the role models for the new generation of leaders. You have to look to somebody who's done it. You mentioned Hubert. I know Hubert extremely well. Recruiting to teach at Harvard now, fantastic. He went into Best Buy, you know, and he he knew it was a total disaster. He didn't go into uh, the headquarters and look at the numbers. He takes his first week and goes to the stores. He said, I learned everything I needed to know in four days in the stores in St. Cloud, Minnesota, about what was wrong. And it gave me my whole agenda. Ken Frazier, grandson of a slave, saved, saved Merck from uh, near bankruptcy with uh, Vioxx as general counsel. But then he becomes CEO and he said, it's all about science. And he found a drug failing in the labs and, and uh, he pulled it out called Keytruda. It's the best-selling drug of all time because it's saving so many lives with cancer using very advanced immunology. So a brilliant leader. Ursula Burns, fantastic human being who knows the first black uh, CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And she is an amazing, I just had dinner with her a month ago. She is an amazing human being, an amazing leader who uh, is uh, inspiring so many people. Now she's devoting herself more to get more diverse people in the leadership. Indra ran PepsiCo, made it a great company, great global company, 12 and a half years, has turned it over to a very successful successor. Ramon Lagarda is very different than Indra, but she put the focus on nutrition. She said, that's my true north. We're gonna have healthy foods and beverages here. And to her credit, she worked hard on that. So uh, these are the kind of people that set, that young leaders can look to today is to say, I need a role model of how to lead. Another one is John Donahoe is running Nike. This is fourth CEO gig, amazing leader, uh, really good. So uh, like, uh, there's some great leaders out there. Some people might be listening to this, but I'm thinking, well, what about the workers? Don't they matter? How critical in terms of evaluating the success of companies like Nike or Merck or indeed the Medtronic, which you run. How important is it to write books, not just about the leaders, but about the people who work for these leaders? 100%, and not just the executives that work for them. Who's on the front lines? 
you know, we've got the wrong organization structure. We need to flip it upside down, put the customer on top and the frontline employees. If we learn anything during COVID, where everyone, all the rest of us are sitting comfortably at home on Zoom, protecting ourselves, the frontline workers that saved us, whether they're delivering food to our home, stocking shelves at Target, serving as a barista at Starbucks, or like my son, being a surgeon uh, of trying to save, save people with stage four cancer, they have to be on the front lines. And I think as a society, this is one hang up, Andrew, I really have with capitalism. We have given all the wealth to people who are good at running numbers, and we've taken it away from the frontline people. We need to restore that. They're the ones that matter. You go into any restaurant, hotel, uh, anywhere, uh, airline, you don't see executives, you see the frontline people. And how you feel about that business determined by the frontline people. And we need to, CEOs need to be out with their people all the time, not sitting in meetings. We did a study of where CEOs spend their time. We found 68% of their times in meetings, mostly in the headshed. They need to be out with their people, with their customers in the marketplace, with their people on the production lines in the labs. That's who they need to be. So I think we're. Yeah, yeah we're I mean, Musk's Ma- 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 celebrity in part as the CEO is built around his wealth. I don't know whatever he's worth, depending on the the Tesla stock market price, somewhere between 100 and 150 billion dollars. <laughs> These people are enormously wealthy. I mean, even. Men like Satya Nadella, your 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 model of a true north. I mean, he's a. I'm guessing he's a billionaire. Are all these people overpaid, Bill? And and how do we confront that? Do we need to structurally change capitalism, corporations? How do we deal with this issue? Well, I think generally high-level executives are paid too much, and workers are paid too little. Now, I have great respect for people that found their own companies. So it's hard for me to say Musk is overpaid. I mean, that's the value of Tesla stock, Bill Gates. Uh, but the question is, what are you going to do with the money? And, you know, look at what the Gates Foundation has done and how he got his friend Warren Buffett to give him $40 billion. I mean, it's stunning what Gates is doing now in the area of health. Mike Bloomberg, I think the third largest philanthropist. Now, you might think, you know, Mike, had done, I was at Bloomberg two days ago. Fantastic enterprise. Look that he's created. And uh, he's a classmate of mine from business school, but he he is now giving it all back. And he says he says to me and I quoted him in his book, he said, I think the the uh, what I would like to do is have my check to the undertaker bounce. In other words, I'd like to give it all away. And I think people should. So I worry about people like Jeff Bezos building a five hundred million dollar yacht and kind of losing their way. What do you make, though, of what Bezos and Musk are doing in almost competing with NASA, for example, to colonize space. Should, is that something that you would encourage in your class at Harvard, spend your money competing with state um, organizations like NASA, or rather give the money back to the state and let the experts decide what to do? I mean, if we left it up to Musk, God knows what he would do in terms of the collapse of population. And perhaps he might have something to say about contraception or abortion. He might, or libertarian views, absolutely. No, I, I, I think these guys, I would much rather see them put their money into ensuring that every high school student has the opportunity to take the next level of education. It may not be a university. It doesn't have to be a big name university. It might be Votech. It might be learning about how to be a computer whiz or computer graphics or be a designer 
or running a welding machine. And I think we have diminished these jobs. I think they should be paid more. You can make a lot of money having your own plumber electricity company, but somebody's got to help people go through school. So I'd like to see them give their money away. I think Bezos for his $500 million yacht, we figured out he could have given $125,000, 125 students the opportunity to go to school for a year or 60,000 for two years. My friend, Alan Page, a close friend who uh, was former NFL Hall of Famer, uh, has got an educational foundation we support and that's what he's doing. So I'd like to see the money go to help people Society is built on the strength of the middle class, and we are weaning out, we're diminishing and hollowing out the middle class Americans. And so that's why so people are so angry, and I understand why they're angry. And I think we have to change this around and uh, not have all this money held by celebrities. Your book, uh, the new book, True North, uh, Emerging Leader Edition, um, is a clarion call to emerging leaders, but there are emerging leaders who you use as models for what it needs to be, what it means, what it should mean to be a leader in the 2020s. You talk about Tracy Britt Cool, uh, Kabir Bade, uh, Jennifer Hyman, the CEO of Rent the Runway, uh, Corey Barry, the CEO, the current CEO of Best Buy. What is it about these young leaders, Bill, who uh, to give us a model, uh, if you like, a compass for true north in the 2020s. All those people have been raised in a period of crisis. Their business formative years have been since 2001 with the uh, Twin Towers toppling and all the crises. And now we're in intersecting crisis. They know how to lead to take Corey Berry. She got to be CEO succeeding Hubert Jolie, who was a great leader. She was 44 years old. And, you know, eight months later, the world falls apart with the pandemic. She has to close a thousand stores and lay off 52,000 people. But you know, she transformed the whole Best Buy model almost overnight. In a week, two weeks, she transformed the whole model uh, from uh, you know coming to the stores and buying things and to buying online and coming to the store and pick it, coming to the store as a distribution center and picking it up. And she is uh, a great model for anyone. She cares about her people. She does it right. She's created an incredible spree de corps among the people. That's the first thing she really cares about. And she cares about her customers. And she's created a great shareholder value, as did her predecessor. So, uh, you know, but some of these people are going through really tough times. Jen Hyman, Run the Runway. Well, guess what? She had this fabulous business. She went public. And all of a sudden, people are not, uh, not, not renting dresses to go out to balls. They aren't going to balls anymore. So she's had to restructure her whole model. But she's done was she it in your class, Bill. I know she was at the Harvard Business School. No, she wasn't in my class. Uh, Tracy, Tracy Britt, as I knew her then, now Tracy Britt Cool, uh, was in my class. Great student. And I could sense right there that she was sensitive to the issues of leadership. And she's doing that now in private equity, trying to change private equity, not let's buy them and flip them every three years, but let's keep them longer and build up companies, much more of the Warren Buffett model, but probably companies that are smaller than Buffett would invest in. She's learned her lessons well, and she'll be very successful. Uh, I, I'll predict that. Uh, Bill, um, we did, we've done a number of shows on empathy and leadership, particularly female empathy. We did one with Susan McKenty Brady, yep. a business leader. I'm sure you're familiar with her work. Is it any coincidence that three of the people we're talking about as next generation leaders who understand their true north are 
are female. Do we need more women leaders in the boardroom? Absolutely. In the boardroom and in the marketplace. Goldman Sachs at one time had only one female on the board. Now it's got six females and six males. That's progress, you know? And so we need more CEO leaders as females. That's why I feature a lot of these people, but not because the males aren't good, but I think we have that diversity in the team. And uh, you see in even Goldman Sachs, which no women ever got to the top. Now, Stephanie Cohen's running one of their largest businesses. So I think we need more women, more BIPOC, more people, more blacks, people of color, more <clears throat> non-Americans. I feature a number of people who they're American, excuse me, let me correct myself. Uh, be born outside the US and came to this country like Nadella and like Nui and many others. So yeah, I think that diversity is a great strength. And why shouldn't we open up the door to everyone? Why does this have to be a white male deal? Well, that you know, kind of goes that? without saying, doesn't it, Bill? I mean, how much is really changing? You hear it, the talk all the time, but the, 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 the vast majority of corporate leaders and boardrooms remain white and male, don't they? Well, I think it's changing. No, I think there's much more diversity on the boards and much more. In, but we have the old guard. That's one of the reasons I think we need to bring in emerging leaders. I know these people and I ask them, look, they don't care about your race, your gender, your national origin, your sexual identity. All they care about is who you are, whether you're a good leader of people. And so we've had way too much dominance by people that look like me. And I think we need to have much more diversity and, and organization will be much stronger when they do that. They'll be far better off. Trust Final me. question, Bill. Um, do we need to fundamentally rethink the idea of profit? We've done many shows on social capitalism, social responsibility. Did one with Wendy Smith, another business school professor recently, that profit and social responsibility need to be equal in terms of leaders, whether they're political leaders or corporate leaders. Does the idea of social responsibility need now to be baked in to all corporate leadership and not just focus on profit? Corporations are chartered by society to serve society. And we got away from that. And we've seen the disaster we had with the Enron and WorldCom and all those companies back in the early 2000s. And then we saw the collapse of the banks. The banks are doing much better today, I think, because of that. Uh, and so I think you make profit because you serve your customers, you serve society, and you serve your employees. If you do that well, that's the way you have sustainable profits and sustainable shareholder value. I don't think it's interesting. I was asked a question about, about AMC the other day and what Adam Aaron is doing and how he's trying to court his shareholders. I think it's a waste of time. I think what you got to do, Andrew, is focus on running your business and you will serve society. Medtronic serves society by the products we have. Indra Nui by Transform PepsiCo is trained serving society. I think Tim Cook is for what he's done at Apple. So these are all people. But I think, no, you don't do that exclusion of profits. The profits are the result. They give you the fuel in your tank that you can allow. You can do these kinds of things. But you're not a social organization. We have lots of social organizations that are doing good work. And, yeah, these philanthropists that make so much money can give their money away to help them. But no, I think business has to sustain itself uh, because it serves, creates great value for its customers with motivated employees. And as a result, it serves society and creates sustainable value for its shareholders. Well, there you have it. Um, Bill, 
Bill uh, outlines this in his new book, True North, Leading Authentically in Today's Workplace, the Emerging Leaders Edition. We didn't talk about authentic leadership, but I think you displayed it. Authenticity seems to be something you can... I think I said who was authentic and who wasn't, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, I'm always a bit wary of that word, Bill, because I think anyone who claims to be authentic generally isn't, but you seem <laughs> to be authentic without using the A word. What else are you reading in addition... Um, Congratulations, Bill, on the new book. Uh, what else are you reading? Uh, well, I think there have been some great books out lately. Uh, David Gellis's book on the man who broke capitalism. I think it's yeah, too I'm hard. I'm trying to get him on the well. show. Every time I try and get him, I don't know why I can't. But yeah, he's yeah. he uses Welch as the the sort of the Travis Kalalnik of what we need to avoid, right? Well, yeah, and I think he's too hard on Jack because Jack was a man of his time. But his style will not work. That command and control style will not work in today's environment. Uh, another great book uh, is out by Carolyn Duar of McKinsey called CEO Excellence. Really fine book. And the th third one I mentioned, we mentioned Hubert Jolie early. He went off and it took a year and then wrote a book about the heart of business. We got to restore it with through the bringing in inspiration and heart to the employees. And you can see it, purpose and human connections constitute the very heart. So that's how you make money for the long term. I'm, I'm, I'm a fervent capitalist, Andrew. In fact, my biggest concern right now is that uh, we have to ensure capitalism survives and we don't uh, become an autocracy like China and Russia. I, they don't practice capitalism like I think we should.